Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We are going to be jumping into a new series today that I've entitled Renewal. And we're going to hit a text, uh, just kind of Jesus is reframing what the vocation of Israel is going to look like. And we're going to be here for a couple weeks. We're going to touch this one passage, but we're going to be here probably for about five weeks because I want to make sure that as we go through this story that we're not missing anything. I want to touch the entire story of Israel because the story of Israel is really the story of the Bible. The Bible is a family story. And we need to know what that story is about so that we could be a part of that because it is about us joining into Israel's story to redeem the nations. So if you want to open your Bibles, we are going to start back in Luke. We are in Luke 6, verses 12 through 16. And then I'm going to touch a, t- a couple passages thereafter. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there now, or you can just follow me on the screen. Luke 6, verses 12 through 16. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are the names, Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, Judas, Iscariot, who later betrayed him. I'm going to jump over to Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I give you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Please ask that you would just illuminate the text, that you would open our ears to hear Let our eyes see what you want us to see. And would you bless this time, bless this message, in Jesus' name. So as we've been venturing in the book of Luke, Jesus has come onto the scene. He goes to the Jordan River. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And he's filled with the Spirit there. And he goes into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he is tempted by Satan. And the temptation that he is given by Satan is, if you would bow down and worship me, I will give you the nations. And Jesus says, no, you are only to worship one God. 
You are only to worship Yahweh. And as he defeats that temptation of the wilderness, he comes out in the power of the Spirit, and he goes to his hometown in Nazareth, where he opens the scroll, and he proclaims to everyone that he is the one in whom all the promises are meant, that he has been given the Spirit, for the Spirit of God has anointed him, and he's empowered him to proclaim the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those who are captive, to heal the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus begins to go into the rest of Galilee, and he begins to heal the sick, begins to cast out those demons that are tormenting people. He's setting people free. He's loving the marginalized. He's loving the oppressed. And he's forgiving people of sins. This text now that we're getting to is Jesus has now gathered a following. Tons of people have now followed him. They're coming from every way out of Galilee. Some are coming up from Judea, and they're wanting to know, who is this man? Is he the prophet? Is he a Messiah? Who is he? And they're seeing his healings, they're seeing the miracles, and they're intrigued. And so Jesus takes them up to the top of a mountain, this is very figurative of what Moses did with Israel when they, brought him, when they brought him out to Mount Sinai. And there in Mount Sinai, the Lord comes down upon the mountain, and all of a sudden, Moses goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments and brings it down. This is symbolic of that, and we're going to touch that next week when we get to Exodus. So Jesus takes these group of men, and then he chooses 12 of them. And he chooses these men to be a covenantal renewal. See, Jesus believes his job is to be Israel's vocation. That Israel was meant to go to the world. Israel was meant to bring the nations that were exiled at Babel and bring them back to Yahweh. That's who Jesus believes he is. And so he chooses 12 men. And this symbolic number is representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. That from these 12 men, he is renewing the tribal commitment. He is renewing the covenant of Israel that these men would do as he does, that they will heal the sick. They will cast out demons. They will love the marginalized. They will do as Jesus did, and they will proclaim the forgiveness of sins that Jesus, uh, that Jesus has paid for. That's their job, and they're going to train a multitude of people to do that. This is the covenantal renewal so I want to take the next few weeks to describe why this is important. What is the story of Israel? And so I'm going to touch, this week, I'm going to talk about the redemption story. We're going to go all the way back to Abraham. We're going to talk about who he is, what struggles he went through, and why he is the archetype of faith. Then next week, we're going to touch on the Exodus. What is the, t uh, what is the story of how Israel becomes the covenant people of God when they get the law. What's that about? And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about the kings. We'll talk about King David and King Solomon. We'll talk about the exile and how Israel falls out of favor with God. And we'll talk about the church. We'll finalize the series on why we're a part of this story. But to set all good stories up, we have to go to the beginning. So, for some of you, you guys have heard me say this a few times, forgive me for repeating, but for some of you who are new, I hope you learned something today. This is going to be awesome, I hope. So let's go all the way back to Genesis, right? 
So the whole story of the Bible is a family story. We've initiated that. God wanted to create a family. And so when he is in creation, he says, let us make man in our own image. Male and female, he created them. And he blesses them to have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the creatures on the ground. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the whole world. And then the next chapter, in chapter 2, he brings humanity into a garden. And in this garden, we see that there is abundance. This place is perfect. This place is beautiful. This place is other than the world outside. This is God's abode. This is where God communicates with man. So you have peace that's here. And you have love that's here, both love with God and love with the spouses. And then you have an abundance that's in this place. There's no lack. There's water. There's food. And God says, you can have anything here. You can eat of anything here. You can enjoy this place. But don't eat of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that, you're going to die. Well, humanity for a while avoids that place like the Dickens. Nope, not going to touch it. We aren't even going to go near it. And the serpent comes into the story. And he looks at their vulnerability. And he says, hey, you're not going to die if you eat of the tree. You're going to be like God. And the thought goes through humanity is, I can do this without God. I can live this life without him. And if I just eat of that, I'll have more knowledge. I'll have more wisdom. I'll be able to do that. And when they eat of it, their eyes are opened. Their mind is opened. And they realize they make a huge mistake. Humanity is then driven out of the garden. They are exiled. And we see a, a decline pretty fast. The first children, Cain and Abel. Abel has a sacrifice he wants to bring to the Lord. It is accepted. Cain has a lackluster, and it is rejected. And out of his jealousy, he kills his brother. So we have this perpetuation of violence that goes on from Cain's line. And we see that violence and war become a major theme between Genesis 1 and Genesis 11. Humanity begins to enslave one another and kill each other off. We also see a, a constant depravity of, per, uh, of perversion. Humanity was meant to be a family unit. You had male and female that loved one another. And in family, they were to spread to the whole world. Their family was supposed to go with God. But what you end up with is women becoming second-class citizens. You have them now become enslaved to men. They are then thrown into harems or prostitution. Perversion takes over in so many different ways that we see a decline where love becomes lust. And we also see that humanity is meant to have peace in the garden. This is supposed to be perpetuated as they go out. Sorry, I've already touched war and peace, my bad. There was meant to be abundance. They were always have to have a lot. They were supposed to live in the abundance of God's garden. But now with the perpetuation of violence, you have kings and rulers who have all the resources, and you have those who are now underneath them in servitude, and the peasants are now living in abject poverty. So you have a whole reversal of what the world is supposed to look like. And this culminates to the Tower of Babel, where now, instead of spreading to the world and going out and doing what God called them to do, 
they stay in one place. They congregate at Babel. And they want to make a name for themselves. They only want to do what they want to do. They want to become a great nation without spreading. And they want divine blessing. So they create this tower, this ancient ziggurat, this ancient pyramid where they have sacrifices, human and animal. And this is meant to bring the divine powers to them. They're meant to elicit sorceritic means so that they can have power of themselves. And God looks at this, says, no, this is not good. If I don't intervene, humanity is going to be irreversibly damaged. So he comes down, confuses their language, and spreads them abroad. That is loosely Genesis 1 through 11. But in Genesis chapter 12, we have the story of Abraham. The next chapter, God puts a pause on the human project, but now he's going to restart, and he's going to start with a family. And this family is meant to be the family that redeems the nations that were just lost, the nations that are now broken. So he chooses a man named Abraham, and he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, Babylon just wanted to be a great nation. They wanted to be great. They wanted fame. And God says, I'm going to give you, Abraham, fame. I, the nations want great blessing, but now God is going to give Abraham great blessing. Everything that Babel and the humans and rebellions want, God gives to a single family with the intent that this family, filled with blessing, is going to bring all the other nations back to blessing. Now, why does God choose Abraham, right? I guess that's a, a big question in my mind. Is, who is Abraham? Well, Abraham is not a perfect person who lives fantastic and doesn't have any flaws. The reason that Abraham is even called at all is because he has faith. He believes what God said. His wife is old, he is old, she's been barren forever, they have no children, and God says, I'm going to heal your wife. I'm going to give you an heir. Your lineage is what's going to fill the whole world. And for a man who has lived in just, I can imagine a man who's lived with disappointment his whole life, to believe this is quite the feat. So he believes what God's going to say, or believes what God says about what will happen. And he leaves his country, begins to go to the place of Cana. But the story is also one of fear and doubt. God has promised to protect him. God's promised to extend his line. But when he comes into Egypt, all of a sudden he gets afraid of this king. And this king, uh, he sells his wife to a harem, to the king, because he thinks that this king's gonna murder him because his wife's very beautiful. Now the Lord brings his wife back through supernatural means and blesses him, but it's not because he's faithful in this. He's actually very fearful in this. Another time, Abraham and Sarah go a few more years and they're still not experiencing healing. She's still barren. And so they decide to go and get a surrogate 
And so they bring the handmaiden in, and Hagar and Abraham do their thing, and they create an illegitimate son named Ishmael. Later down the line, God does heal Sarah and does produce a son named Isaac. But now these two sons are rivals. There's a problem there. And we have an injustice now that Hagar is now cast aside and she has to take her son. So Abraham is still a human who is broken and hurting, and yet he still is trying to do his best. He's still trying to emulate what God is doing. He's still trying to live with justice. The end of Abraham's story and what makes Abraham the pinnacle of faith is that Abraham is faithful and is willing to sacrifice this boy. God says, take your son, Isaac, the one you love the most, and sacrifice him. And this is that that Garden of Eden scene again. Is Abraham, now that he has the blessing, going to stick with God's plan, or is he going to choose the tree? Is he going to be like Babel and pursue his own desires? So Abraham says, I will do whatever you want, and he believes that even if his child is to die, that he will be raised. So he goes to that length, and God stops him before anything happens. and says, you are faithful your lineage will be the one that continues the story. The story of Abraham is a one of faithfulness. The story of Abraham is like our story. We're broken people. We're hurting people. And we're going to make mistakes along this journey. We are to look at him as a man of faith and say we just keep doing and we keep pressing and we stay faithful. Jesus fulfills this lineage, and we'll jump a few couple uh, thousand years real quick because we'll hit the rest of this story when we get into the Exodus. But Jesus is taking on this lineage from Abraham's offspring, from his children, would the redemption of the world come? That's what was promised. And so Jesus comes at the end of this story to fulfill that. And he demonstrates what that vocation looks like. To love your neighbor, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to care for the marginalized, to care for the broken, to care for the widow and the orphan, to fight for justice for those who can't fight for justice. Jesus demonstrates a life of love and what Israel was always meant to be. And he calls us into that reality. Jesus pays the ultimate price by going to the cross and he defeats sin. He defeats the rebellion of Babel. He takes it upon himself and overthrows it. And in his resurrection, he tells us, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Discipling the nations is the blessing because Let me read this. I think I wrote it better than I can say it out loud. When we disciple the nation, that's how God blesses us. God brings us into his family, and he teaches us his ways. When we are saturated by the scripture, 
when we're saturated with his word, when we're saturated with his gospel, when we're walking this life out in the spirit, we become like him. We become disciples. And as we become his disciples, we make disciples. As we are blessed by what this says, we are able to be a blessing to others. God uses broken people. He uses broken, imperfect people. That's what he does. Abraham, though he was thoroughly broken, is called righteous by his faith because of what God promised. And you and I, though we might feel broken, though you and I might feel imperfect, we don't have to worry about being all good to actually follow after God. We don't have to get all fixed up to do what he says. There's that excuse like, man, if I just got my stuff together, I could do good things for God. No, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. How it works is that we take responsibility and we go and we worry and allow God just to, let me back that up. We don't worry about what other people think. We don't worry about our own emotions. We have a good, healthy fear of the Lord. And as we fear the Lord, what ends up happening is we become more and more like him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And as we search his heart and as we pursue him, he transforms us. As we pursue the spirit, he moves and he changes us. So this life is about working with our imperfections, but also partnering with the spirit to overcome our stupidity. I'll land the plane with this. God uses broken people to reach broken people. As you become disciples, you make disciples. That's it. We are transformed by the discipleship process. So I'll close it here. If you guys will stand, I'll bless you, and we'll go ahead and transition. Father, I bless your people tonight. I ask that you just fill them with your peace and your power. Lord, I pray that you would just enter into their space, that you would just walk with them as they walk out their lives and their faith. Would you be with them in their fears? Would you be with them in their struggles? Would you be with them in their doubts? And God, would you just show them your faithfulness as they walk in theirs? I bless them in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.